Thanks for joining us today. We believe God is going to do great things in your life, and we want to hear about it. Send us your story at mystory@summitsa.com and let us know what he's done for you through this ministry. If you'd like to partner with us or bless us with a financial gift, go to summitsa.com and give an amount that works best for you. Now enjoy the message and have a blessed day. We're in our 30-day church challenge campaign. This is week number four. We said our purpose was to discover and engage in the five purposes of the church. We want to view church not as a place to come to, but as a vibrant family to belong to, a community of faith that's inspirational, transformational, that touches our community and world with the power of good news. Let's do a review. Week number one, we talked about the power of community to know and be known, and we urged everybody to get in a connect group, and you did. Wow, you really did. All of them got new people. Everybody had people in all the connect groups all over the city, so thank you for that. And what's more important are new friends you make, uh, people interacting, asking questions, sharing. That's a great way to grow and also to build good relationship. Week number two was on worship, and I challenged you to come to the, each of the five worship services on the weekend. Uh, last week, number three, we talked about spiritual growth, about feeding on God's Word, and then us sharing with God, talking to God in prayer and growing up. So this is part four today, and we're going to talk about the fifth purpose of the church, stewardship. What are you investing your life in? Debbie Lawrence, who's a mother, she penned the property laws of a toddler. Law number one, if I like it, it's mine. <laughs> Law number two, if it's in my hand, it's mine. <laughs> Law number three, if I can take it from you, it's mine. <laughs> Law number four, if I had it a while ago, it's mine. <laughs> Law five, if it's mine, it must never appear to be yours in any way. <laughs> Law six, if I'm building something, all the pieces are mine. Number seven, if it looks just like mine, it's mine. <laughs> Law number eight, if I saw it first, it's mine. Yeah. Law number nine, if you're playing with something and put it down, it automatically becomes mine. <laughs> Law number 10, if it's broken, it's yours. Well, those laws illustrate what we all know to be true. From an early age, it's human nature to kind of stake out what's ours and to hold it as tight as we can. We all tend to act like toddlers when it comes to money and things that money can buy. So here's two pieces of good news this morning. First, God understands our struggle with money. Second, God blesses us when we let go of our death grip. There are two key principles that apply to this morning's message. By the way, last night I stayed with the material in our 30-day church challenge campaign. I didn't like it, so I threw it away. So what you're hearing now, nobody has ever heard before. <laughs> Number two. It's not about money, it's about God. And number two, it's not about what God wants from you, it's what God wants for you. That's really important to understand. God's never trying to make your life miserable, He wants to bless it. 
Now, my text comes from the last part of Paul's farewell address to the elders at the church of Ephesus. Knowing he's never going to see these guys again, he kind of reviews his ministry among them and exhorts them to continue serving the Lord and to be on guard after his departure. Then he ends, this is in Acts 20, verse 32 to 35, with these words, Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have not coveted anybody's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak, remembering the words of our Lord Jesus himself, who said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, that seems like a paradox. A paradox is a truth that appears to be contradictory. It runs counterclockwise to the culture of our world, which says that if you give something away, you lose it. And if you keep something, it's yours forever. You know, gaining is winning, giving is losing. That's how the world thinks. Jesus turns the world's wisdom upside down when he tells us it is more blessed to give than to receive. We actually gain by what we give away. So it's important for us to understand that Jesus is comparing relative values. The most important word is more. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, he's not saying it's not a blessing to receive, because it is. If you're thirsty and someone gives you water, you're blessed. If you're hungry and somebody gives you food, you are blessed. If you're tired and somebody gives you a place to stay, you're blessed. If you're broke and somebody gives you money, you are blessed. If you're out of work and somebody gives you a job, you are blessed. If you're discouraged and somebody lifts up your spirit, you are blessed. Would you agree? So it is absolutely true. It's a blessing to be blessed. But Jesus just adds relativity to the word. He says, if that's good, it's even better. It's more blessed to be able to give than to have to receive. And I'll tell you, I'd much rather be able to give than to have to receive. Sometimes our misplaced pride keeps us receiving, you know, blocks us from receiving acts of kindness from people who love us and want to do good to us. It takes a certain spiritual maturity to receive from others with a grateful heart. But as blessed as receiving is, Jesus said, giving is more blessed. So why did Jesus say that? And how is giving more blessed than receiving? Well, here's a couple of answers that help me that I hope help you understand what Jesus meant. Lesson number one, giving delivers all of us from us. It delivers me from myself. It delivers me from the bondage of selfishness. I mean, the toddler, what's his favorite word? No and mine, right? I mean, we come right out of the womb with the nature of Adam of stinginess and greed and clutching. You don't have to wait till you're 40 to be greedy. It starts as soon as you break open that womb and pop out into the earth. It's mine. It's all mine. And so we have to train our little children 
to be generous and share with their brother or sisters. You ever buy your kids uh, a McDonald French fries, which are the best in the world, in my opinion, and just ask your kid for one, and they say no as a toddler, and you're thinking, I, brought, I bought the stinking things. I ought to be able to have one. Well, I want you to see pretty soon God bought everything, owns the world, created everything, and sometimes said, I'd like some, not all, but of that, and then we say mine, no, as though we did it, you know. So receiving meets my own needs, but giving opens my heart to the world. You can give from a selfish motive, but I don't think you'll give selfishly very long. Either your selfishness will stop your giving, or your giving will choke your selfishness. And secondly, giving frees us from the grip of materialism. Consider the words of Paul to 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 9 and 10. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and into a trap and to many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money, not money, but the love of money, is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves through with a lot of hurt and a lot of grief. So it's not your bank account that gets you in trouble. Money is morally neutral. It doesn't make you anything. It just reflects what you already are. If I pick up drug money that was dropped in an exchange and it's laying on the ground, I don't become a pimp or a drug dealer because I picked it up. That money is going to manifest who I am, what I value. So it ain't drug money no more, it's my money. And it's God's money because I'm going to use it for a good source, not for evil. It always ticks me off how Christians know the devil can take from Christians and why we can't take from the devil. I'm going to take everything he's got. And I'd like you to help me do the same thing. This is my father's world. The earth is mine, the fullness thereof, and everybody. It's not Satan's world. It's not Satan's money. It's God's earth and money, and we're his kids. So let's take every bit of it. Let's buy all the property we can. Let's make all the resources we can. Let's expand as much as we can and occupy this earth till he comes. You don't think God invented, I mean, the devil invented nice things just for the drug cartel please, or for Hollywood idiots. No. You have as much right to anything good as anybody else on earth. It's all about the heart and what you value and how you use it. When you read the first part of verse 10, you kind of say to yourself, well, I don't, have, I don't love money. It reminds me of the man who said, if money were a woman, I wouldn't say we're in love, but we're definitely heavily dating. I understand that. The odd thing is that money in the end cannot satisfy. I've never heard a man on his deathbed say, thank God for my money as he was dying. Dying men usually give thanks for family and friends. But a dying man doesn't have time to worry about money. Sometimes we ask about somebody who passed away, how much did they leave? I can answer that because it's always the same answer. They left it all every single bit of it. You'll never see a U-Haul behind a hearse, ever. 
And third, giving frees me from the burden of depending on money to make me happy. I thought about that, and it reminded me of a story by Richard Foster, who wrote a book called Celebration of Discipline. And his suggestion was on how to develop a simpler life. He said, develop a habit of giving things away. If you find that you're becoming unusually attached to a possession, consider giving it to somebody who might need it. He says, de-accumulate. Masses of things that are not needed complicate your life and your closet, girls. They have to be sorted and stored and dusted and resorted and restored and then buy some storage space to put your stuff in ad nauseum. A good rule my mother taught me that I follow to this day. If you haven't used it or worn it in a year, give it away. Well, it's too new, yeah, and it'll be a blessing to somebody else, but you are not going to use it, and after a year, you're not going to wear it. I brought 35 suits into the speaker's lounge two weeks ago for our distribution to the homeless and needy. What could you bring? And most of it, as I was taking it out of the closet, I thought, Mike, that's like brand new, still in the, look at that. Holy cow. But I hadn't worn it in five years. Coming out, coming out. I'm streamlining that. My wife loves it because it makes more room for her stuff. <laughs> but I live by that. And I mean, it can be a valuable thing, but I thought it'll be much more a blessing to somebody else because I'm not using it. And it did cost a lot and it was worth a lot. And it's like new. What a great blessing it's going to be for somebody else. When we first moved here, I had a triple blade riding John Deere tractor from our home in Savannah, Georgia. And then I rented a little house, a little house with a yard I could spit over when we came to San Antonio to start the church. And I thought, I can't ride that thing. It's big as the whole yard. <laughs> and it's like new. And I remember I gave it to a brother who had, who had moved out, had, had a little bit of acreage, about an acre and a half or something, and it suited him fine. So I just gave it away. I didn't put it on eBay. I gave it away. I'd much rather live off the return from God who says, what you make happen for others, Ephesians 6, I'll make happen for you. Give and you shall receive. Some of you eBay people, I mean, you, you, won't, you, you hold on to that thing. If it's a 10-year-old computer with a hard drive in it or something with a rubber band, you still go, I could get something for this. What, why don't you give it to somebody? You know, just give it away and let it be a blessing to somebody. He said, most of us could get rid of half our possessions without any serious sacrifice. Boy, is that true. It'd do well to follow the counsel of Thoreau. Simplify, simplify. And I thought, you know what? Some of you girls got more jewelry than the store. And if you hadn't been wearing something, look around at the sisters and somebody who could not possibly even afford that and make it a big surprise and say, I just want to bless you. Wow, what a... And you'll get more kick out of that than leaving it in the drawer for some burglar to steal. Yeah, okay, just a thought. Um, we do it. I, I'm trying to encourage you to be a good steward. So we need to consider what Foster says. It's not wrong to own a motorcycle, but if your motorcycle's God and it owns you, give the sucker away. It's not wrong to own a new car, but if the car owns me and I have a fit over everything about it, 
give it away. It's not wrong to own a summer home, but if your summer home owns you, takes you away from God for crying out loud, burn it down. No, that's not good. <laughs> give it away. Don't burn it down. What am I thinking? It's, okay? It's not wrong to have a big house, but if a big house owns me, give it away. You get the principle. Most of us could easily part with half of what we own and be better off for it. You know, we've been robbed on two different occasions over our 43 years of marriage. And the other, after the shock of losing everything, you realize, I don't feel like I've lost anything. You got so much stuff. It's like the earth didn't come to a stop. The sun didn't stand still. Earthquake didn't open up. I guess I didn't need it after all. After you get over the heartbreak of losing it for a moment, and then maybe a year later you discover something else was stolen, but you didn't even miss it. And when you suddenly wanted, it came to your mind, you couldn't find it. Well, it must have got stolen too, and we didn't even miss it. You get my point? Everybody's overstocked, even some of you that don't think you are. The best way to break the idolatry of stuff is to give stuff away. Secondly, giving unites us with our brothers and sisters. When you give through the church or to a Christian ministry, we unite our resources for a common good. Now, there's only so much one person can do. I can give and give and give until I give it all, but even if I give 100%, I can't feed all the hungry in the world. I can't clothe all those that are poor. But when I give what I can give, and you give what you can give, and when we're joined with others, we can do far more together than we could ever do separately. Mother Teresa said, I can do what you can't do, but you can do what I can't do. Together, we can do a whole lot. That's when you multiply with synergism together. And that's not all. Mutual giving inspires others to make acts of sacrifice as well. When I see you give and you see me give, that example lifts you and your example lifts me. And as others see you and me giving, our example inspires them too. So not only do your gifts matter, your act of giving itself inspires others to join in. When you give and I give and when others join with us, together we create an enormous stockpile of resources. So what happens when God's people unite in giving, praise, worship, and united prayer? Well, it's simple. The windows of heaven open up and God blesses those who give so that the gift itself is blessed beyond human expectation and givers are blessed more than they ever dreamed possible. Everybody gets blessed. You, the giver, get blessed. Those that are recipients get blessed. God is pleased. So I give, you give. We give, others give. Resources multiply. We rejoice and we pray. God moves from heaven to bless the gifts and the givers. It's win-win all around. When God blesses us because of our giving, His blessing is more and different and even better. He went on to say that when we hoard what we have, our hands are so full, God can't give us anything else. But when we give away even what we have, God then is free to bless us in ways we wouldn't be able to receive otherwise. I mean, here's the formula. This is not how to go to heaven. This is how to receive. Give. And it. It is whatever you gave. Love, time, mercy, compassion, stuff, time, talent, treasure. Give and it shall be given to you. 
good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. Now, if God said that, you can't change it. That's exactly how it works. You can't make that formula receive and then give. He doesn't say that. God says, in my kingdom, give first, and then whatever you give, it shall return to you in same measure, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. So I love when God makes a promise about how to, how to make something work. I'm jumping on that thing. I'm going to jump on that thing and make it work. And yet people sit around in church for years. Duh. Like it never happened. Well, ain't they're lucky. Or, well, I wish I had his job. And all. You got the same God. You got the same word. Believe it. Obey it. Watch God. God's no respecter of people. You know, most everything has a limit, but stupid doesn't seem to have a limit. It just, I'm a, I mean, my life, I, I, I thought pretty soon we'll get to the end of seeing what stupid can do. No way. It's just amazing to me. So, simply put, when we give, God does things for us that he does not do when we just hoard and hold. Number three, giving brings us closer to God. One final rest, I think, reason why it's more blessed to give than to receive. The giving makes me closer to God, and I'll tell you how. First, it makes me an imitator of God who is generous and who daily loads us with benefits. Nothing is more natural to God than to give. For God so loved the world, He gave His one and only Son, John three sixteen. No good thing will the Lord withhold from him who walks uprightly. He's always giving, giving, giving. Giving lies at the heart and nature of who God is. If God did not give us food to eat, water to drink, or air to breathe, we wouldn't be here. If God didn't give us life itself, we wouldn't be here. If God hadn't given us his son to die for us, we would perish eternally. He said, if he has not withheld his only begotten son, what else would he refuse to give you? He's appealing to you to say, go ahead, make my day. If I gave you my only begotten son and wouldn't withhold him, what would I withhold from you? If you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give to you? I, I mean, my goodness sakes, I got a generous daddy. You may not have had like me a generous natural father, but we have a great heavenly father who isn't stingy at all. And unlike our earthly fathers, he doesn't have any limit at all. Secondly, giving causes us to share in his delight. God says he loves a cheerful giver. You might want to underline cheerful. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 7, smile when we receive the offering. You've heard it said that God loves a hilarious giver. God takes great delight in being God. I think he enjoyed creating the universe, fashioning the stars, forming the creatures on earth. You know, when we give, we join God in the delight he takes in giving to us. And third, when we give, we put ourselves in the place where God can bless us. I like being in that place. Think of all the benefits of giving. We receive the needs of others. We inspire others to join with us. We improve our own soul. We establish habits that bring eternal reward. Our generous giving brings glory to the Lord. Those are just some of the great blessings that come when people are generous, when people give. And it's not based on how much you have, whether it's little or much. It's giving. So consider the power of money. 
The man who has it is better off than the man who does not have it. That is, he can buy certain things that money can buy that a man without money cannot buy. He can buy knowledge. He can buy rank. He can buy favor. He can buy a judge. He, he can buy rank, privilege, and possessions. But think with me. Money cannot buy anything of the Spirit. It can't buy love. Even the Beatles know. Can't buy me love. Everybody tells me so. Can't buy me love. No, 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 no. That's a good one. Even they knew it. Can't buy joy. Can't buy peace. Can't buy hope. It can't buy forgiveness. It can't buy your salvation. It can't buy courage. It can't buy loyalty. But most men think money is the measure of everything. We live to make it, to earn it, to invest it, to multiply it, to spend it, and to make some more so we can spend more. But the desire for money becomes a passion, then it becomes an addiction. First it's a servant, then it becomes a master. First it's a desire, then it's a disease. So we all need Jesus who spoke these words, it's more blessed to give than to receive, to speak them to our heart personally. And without Jesus Christ, we're going to be both greedy and fearful that we'll never have enough. When we see the earth as it is and heaven as it is, when our vision gets transformed, when eternity becomes real to us, when we see that Christ left heaven for us and that he purchased us at so great a price, his own life, then the wealth of the world as we see it for what it is, it's just a tool for relieving misery and spreading good news. Everything else becomes secondary. I recently read the story of Maxie Jarman. Anybody heard of Jarman Shoes? Maxie Jarman was president of the Genesco Shoe Company. Before his death in 1976, Mr. Jarman was a well-known Christian layman who loved to give money to support God's work around the world. He served for a time on the board of the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. At one point in his career, he suffered a series of financial reversals that cost him nearly everything that he had. As he struggled to put his life back together, a friend asked him if he regretted all the money he had given away over the years. He said, oh no, I only lost what I kept for myself. So what is it that holds us back? Usually the answer is fear. We're afraid to become generous givers because what happened to Maxie Jarman might happen to us. And here's the truth. It might. No one knows what the future may hold. Eight years ago, the stock market was going straight up. Suddenly, the market collapsed. Dot-com fortunes vanished overnight because the future is quite uncertain. And the real issue for a believer is trust. Here's two questions before I close that we all should ponder and should ponder in your connection groups this week. First, can God trust me with money? Whoever can be trusted with little can be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with little will also be dishonest with much. Luke 16, 10. If you can't handle a little bit, you can't handle a lot. You are kidding yourself. And I didn't say it, Jesus said it. I think all of us like to play the what-if game. What if I had a million dollars? Think of all the good I could do. What we mean is, if I had more, I'd give more. 
which reminds me of a bumper sticker I saw. Lord, please give me the chance to prove that winning the lottery won't ruin my life. I'm sure we could all be generous if we had millions of dollars in our checkings account. Notice I said we could, not we would. What we could do, what we would do are very, very different. In any case, God isn't concerned about the multiple millions you don't have. He's concerned about what you do have in your checking account. What are you doing with what God's given you right now? Anybody can be generous with a hypothetical amount of money. I think there are some Christians God simply cannot trust with money because he knows it'll be an absolute waste or destructive to the person that had it. I want him to be able to trust me. How do I gain the trust? By being faithful with a little. That's, that's going to be your lesson this week. If you can't, when you and your wife are making ends meet, if you can't honor the Lord, then with some of your resources, when you're on easy street, you still won't. And second thought, do I trust God more than money? For some people, all this talk about trusting God with our money kind of reminds them of a bad dream. They feel if they dare to trust God in a big way, something bad is bound to happen to them as if God is going to be out to get them somehow. My answer is, it really depends on the God you serve. The answer is, good theology can help you make the right choice. Either you believe we have a mean, evil, judgmental God, or we have a good God who says, I won't withhold any good thing from you. So, taste and see, the Lord is good, Psalms 34, 8. Good theology can help you be able to trust God and not be afraid. But you'll never know until you taste by faith and see for yourself. And remember, it's not about money. It's about faith in the living God who challenges us all the time to trust Him. And then He pulls us way out of our comfort zone. He calls us to follow Him on a great adventure of faith. So here's our challenge this week. Ask God to pull you out of your comfort zone and into the realm of freedom. It's as simple as that. And then start to pray, Lord, do some things I'm not used to. Help me do some things so that you can become to me the God of a great surprise. Something you've been hoarding, I'll guarantee you the Lord will lay on a few people's heart something that they hadn't used in over a year or longer that would be a great blessing to somebody else who simply couldn't afford it. And your joy will be watching them get a kick out of being able to do what they could not do, maybe ever do, because you made it possible. Whether it's a hunting gun, an old canoe, a lawnmower, a piece of jewelry, a sec car, I don't know what it is, but God will show you what it is, uh, being able to help somebody else. So remember, you want to be led by the Lord on that, not by somebody who wants your money. You want God to tell you, not somebody else to tell you. You don't want that hinting Christian who's actually trying to seduce you and manipulate you by witchcraft to meet their need. They're not trusting God at all. That's witchcraft. But when God lays it on my heart, you're not expecting it. You don't have anything to do with it. Cindy and I were driving along in the car. This has been a long time ago, and certain People in the church had, a, had an unexpected, uh, catastrophic need. And I'm driving along, going to dinner with some friends, and I got nothing on my mind but a, a good steak. 
And if I, I mean, it's just, God just mess up an evening and just spoke to me. Claire Isabel said, you ought to, you ought to, how much was that? And Cindy said to me over, and I said, I thought about it. I thought maybe it'll go away in a minute. It didn't go away. I thought, let's cover it. Tell them we'll cover it. Tell them I'll cover it this week. See me at church. We'll cover that. We'll, do, we'll take care of that. You know, I was so glad I could do it. And I made, I made two requests. I said, number one, you may never tell anybody who did it or you can't have it. Will you promise? Yes. Number two, when you are able in life to do something for somebody else like this, will you pass it on? Will you do it for them? They said, yes. Then fine. We did it. Because I want God to bless me. I don't want to bless myself. So repeat this prayer with me this morning. Everybody say, Lord, deliver me from fear. Teach me I can trust you. Do some things I'm not used to by having me do some things I'm not used to. Bring me to the place I can trust you more than ever before. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, how about a good shout of praise? You can trust the Lord. Amen. Thanks for joining us today, and may God richly bless you. For more information on Summit Christian Center, visit summitsa.com.